Welcome to Nomad Yarners, the fiber arts podcast with a bit about the rest of life thrown in. Hosted by Dave and Erica, husband and wife yarn shop owners in Indiana, USA. This is episode 73, recorded the week of Christmas 2018. Today's segments include what you're working on, general craftiness, sponsored pattern, and colorful puddles. Sit back, get comfy, and enjoy the show. So, Erica, what have you been working on this week? This week, I have been doing a little bit of knitting and a whole lot of sewing. (laughs) Um, I've been very productive in the sewing room. Um, So, with my knitting this week, I blocked the uh, December new pattern release the short row lace uh, crescent shaped shawl that I've been talking about for ages. Um, that is sneak peek. That is going to be our sponsored pattern this week. And I needed to record the last of the mini video tutorials to accompany it. Um, and the last one was blocking. Um, and so I blocked it tonight, actually. Um, and I'm hoping that it will dry fast enough that I can get good pictures of it in the next few days. Um, <laughs> Either that or you'll just be wearing it down for no Yeah, no one will know. Um... The uh, So I, I got that blocked, and I will be weaving in the ends on that tomorrow. Um, I also have continued to work on the gradient uh, shawl that I am doing out of some of my hand-spun yarn, um, out of the a fiber optics gradient braid, um, where I'm working from two ends, both ends of the gradient shawl, so, uh, and two rows from each end, so one end is a very light purple um, for two rows, and then the other end is a very dark purple for two rows. And as the shawl gets larger, um, these stripes get closer and closer together as you get towards the center of the gradient. And I'm ridiculously pleased with how it's working. It's just making me very happy. I haven't seen that for a while. I'll have to have a look at it That's the, the show. That's the pattern that I, I uh, have here in my knitting bag that I plan to work on while can you're talking. We, can we get a, a big reveal live? Because I haven't, I haven't seen this for a while. Let's hear all the rustle, rustle awesome, of awesome. the bangs. Oh, that was cool. Ta-da! This is... They really are they're starting to gri- play together. It's very subtle. Gripping audio. Um, <laughs> it is very subtle. So it starts off, um, and this, I may eventually write this up as a pattern, but it's incredibly easy. It starts with one stitch, and you increase on one side only every fourth row. And that's oh, the whole pattern. Maybe a free pattern. We haven't done a freebie in a long time. Yeah. Um, but it's, so it starts with three stitches on the needle and it just gets one stitch bigger every four rows. Um, so it is a very slow to grow, uh, triangle and I'm just, I'm really pleased with how it's coming out. Um, and so that is the knitting that I have been doing this week. Um, I also, I don't remember if in the last episode I had completely finished um, Dave's sweater repair on his very favorite sweater that I, that I made him you 10 years ago, um, but I completely finished that. Um, and I wore it today, and it was so comfortable, and there were no drafts. <laughs> no little air hole ventilations. <laughs> uh, last week's podcast, I said that I had the YouTube videos up um, on our YouTube channel, Nomad Yarns. Um, and I had every intention of doing that, and it did not quite happen, but rest assured, this week, they really is up. Um, we were fiddling around with some new improvements on our YouTube channel um, to have a slide that has all the information for where else to contact us, 
um, and a little bit classier uh, transitions between uh, between scenes. So I've been learning how to use a video editor, and it turns out it takes me longer than I thought it did. <laughs> um, so this week... Um, it's not all Erica's fault. I had to do her an introduction um, title sequence and a, and a slide for the end. So it was my fault too. So this week, that really will be up, and it is going to be a two-parter. Um, so the first part is about 15 minutes long. I figured 15 minutes of watching somebody fix the sweater was about as much as you guys would probably want to see. Um, so I'll do the uh, the rest of the repairs, and then some action shots of it being worn in its fixed state um, will be part two. Uh, Does that mean I need later. to go skiing or something? Yeah. Okay. Um, in the sewing room, I've been doing tons of things. Um, I started and completed a pair of slippers. Um, I just used scraps. It was actually scraps from kids' coats that I had made them. Um, I used a free pattern from Stitch Upon a Time called the Midnight Slippers. Um, I will link to where to find that. It says on the pattern that it's supposed to take an hour, and for normal people, I'm sure that that's true. I have some sort of like block with slippers and footwear of all variety. I'm very slow at sewing them. Um, so it took me more like three or four hours, um, but I also don't follow the instructions very well. Um, was, there was a couple of calls for help as well. I said to help you throw elastic through after you stabbed yourself with a pin and made yourself bleed. I did. I was bleeding all over the thing. Um, so I was trying to thread the elastic through with the safety pin and the safety pin came undone and it just, it, it wasn't smooth. Um, Dave came up with the most genius way to thread elastic through a casing that was reluctant to take the elastic because the casing was right on the edge of too narrow. Uh, we have metal drinking straws so that we don't use plastic ones. We carry them around with us. Um, yeah, with well, those kind of people. When, yeah, when we go out and about. If you if you hadn't figured out that that was sort of our, <laughs> our style uh, by now, okay, go back and listen to some of the other episodes. Um, but he took the metal drinking straw and threaded that through the casing and then just dropped the elastic through the drinking straw because it's totally smooth. It didn't side. Well look like that with this because the elastic was a bit wider. Okay. So I kind of stuffed the elastic in the end and then pulled the straw through. Okay. Well, it it seemed to do, but the elastic was too big. It seemed genius. <laughs> it worked very well. I came back and Dave had not bled on my project and it was fixed. So it was magic. Um, anyway, probably I should just invest the like two dollars in a elastic threader and be done with it because they make tools specifically to do that um i just don't happen to own those tools anyway the slippers turned out great i used leftover fabric from rowan's uh fall coat and it had robots on it um it was very cute uh slippers and we do a holiday gift exchange with some friends um and so those were we do a sock exchange specifically and you stuff the socks with um other goodies and so that those were my version of, of socks I also put put hanging tabs on our advent calendar that we have had and used for years and years, um, but I finally got a way to hang them up attached, um, and we have hung that up and have been using our advent calendar. This is kind of our favorite uh, Christmas tradition that we do every year. Yeah, it's more fun than Christmas, honestly. <laughs> it really is. We don't do big stuff for Christmas. We don't do a lot of gifts. But the advent calendar we put, um, it is made from shirt pockets from my late grandfather's like flannel shirts. Um, I've used the fabric from the shirts themselves for loads of other things, um, but just the pockets from these uh, these flannel shirts. 
there was a bunch of, well, there was exactly 24 of them. Um, and so I stitched those all together and that has been our advent calendar. And we put a different activity to do in each day. Um, and they're not, I mean, some of them are a little bit bigger. So like on a couple of days ago, we went to the, uh, like the holiday exhibit at the children's museum with my parents, which was a big, a big outing. But like tonight's was take a walk around the neighborhood and look at Christmas lights. Um, and one last week was to make red and green marshmallows. And sometimes it's just like drink hot chocolate, uh, go to the library and get a holiday movie and watch it. We do put a couple of candy canes in there as well. On, on Thursday nights where we're we were at the store late, late can't do anything with the cane. Yeah. Um, but Poppy thinks it's really exciting. We, uh, um, today I was helping her finish bake, um, some Christmas cookies and get those decorated. So that was one of the advent calendar tasks too. So it was nice to finally get a way to hang that up. Um, I put just little tabs that uh, snapped so that they can either hang from something or the way we have hung it for this year, we have radiators in our house instead of uh, like blown air heating. And so the radiator uh, pipes run, uh, there's two pipes that run next to each other in our dining or in our living room. And so we have the, uh, the hanging tabs wrapped around the pipes and snapped. Um, so it works well. and it makes my corner look more festive. It does. Um, and we don't have a Christmas tree this year because Rowan would kill himself on it. Um, the one-and-a-bit-year-old is just a climbing maniac. Um, I have also been working on a brand-new-to-me style of project. I am doing some visible mending. Um, traditional mending would, you would attempt to make it invisible. Um, so hide the, the fact that there was a hole or a stain as much as possible. The idea of visible mending is that you do the exact opposite of that. You choose a contrasting color fabric and you do sort of decorative embroidery style stitches to, to put the patch on and secure the edges to keep them from fraying. Um, Dave is very rough on his, uh, like button up collar shirts that he wears every day. Uh, he doesn't. He does get holes in them, but mostly he mostly covers them in super on. glue um, from his other. Super glue or dye or paint or just life or maybe stretch the um, the buttons out in the front so they kind of gape wide open because they sit with me and wiggle their feet and undo the buttons. Yep. So, so I'm hard on shirts. I am making an attempt to turn two stained shirts into one shirt that functions again. Um, so I'm making a black and white um, sort of textured look shirt. Um, I am using the patches from a sort of a coral and white and navy blue striped shirt um, to patch the black and white shirt um, with some practicing some sort of more fun uh, decorative hand stitching. I'm not doing this on a machine, which is a huge step outside my comfort zone. I am not a proficient hand stitcher. I just don't ever do it. Um, and I'm not a perfectionist. And so getting uh, even stitches is just something that I really struggle with. So I, uh, I have put a picture of that up on our social medias, specifically Instagram and Facebook are the best places to find pictures of the things that we're talking about, um, as well as our uh, weekly email to show notes that come out each week uh, after the podcast does that has pretty pictures of all of this stuff in it as well. Uh, so do jump on over, sign up for our newsletter, or follow us on the social medias um, if you want to see the stuff that I'm talking about and make fun of my messy stitches. <laughs>
<laughs> the last thing that I've been doing um, in the sewing room this week is I started a sort of a pillowcase dress for Poppy. Um, it is a little bit different than a standard pillowcase dress. It is from a book called Little... No, this is from One Yard Wonders book. There's also one called Little One Yard Wonders, but this one happens to be from the original book. Um, it has little little armholes in it, uh, so it creates kind of like a cap sleeve, um, but is really done with a pillowcase. I happen to be doing this one out of fabric rather than a pillowcase because I had fabric and I did not have a spare pillowcase. Um, but it's cute. It's a fun um, floral print, um, and I'm actually making the casing at the waist to thread elastic through, so it's a little bit has a little bit more shape than a standard pillowcase dress. I'm making that casing out of the same coral and white and blue striped shirt of Dave's. Um, there's a lot of fabric in one of his shirts, and Poppy's <laughs> clothes don't need very much. Um, so I'm doing that as a contrast uh, casing around the for the waist elastic, and I think it's going to be adorable. Um, that was also a compromise because I wanted the pattern has you put a casing around the outside and you just don't uh, sew shut the ends, you throw the elastic through and then you hand stitch the, the ends closed. But I had the perfect fabric to do, but it was red and I did not have red thread. And since the stitches would have been very visible, um, I tried a couple of sample ones thinking I could use a different color thread and make it look okay. And even I thought that looked bad. <laughs> um, I generally, I have white thread and I have black thread. And I think those two threads will get you through all situations. This was not the case for that. Um, we so have, we have some interesting discussions in the evenings when we're sat in our respective studio spaces and I'm there with my five different brushes and three different airbrushes loaded up and Erica's trying to sew through denim and her, with her regular white thread and not with her normal sewing machine needles. <laughs> I have my own way of doing things <laughs> and I am having fun so I am doing it right. Um, but even I decided that that was too much um, and so instead I'm, I'm stitching them so that there's seams instead of, of attaching it where you really see the thread on the outside. Um, and it works just fine. It works fine now. This way. So Dave, what have you been working on this week? Well, all kinds of things. Um, so first thing that Eric has been working on, uh, we went and got the truck registered so we can drive it, or Erica right now can drive it on the roads legally in Indiana, which means we can do a bunch more stuff. So we've got to get. And that's in fixed. case you have missed our last few episodes. We are going from a brick and mortar uh, yarn shop that we've had for the last almost nine years um, to a yarn truck like a food truck but with yarn um, and the truck has been parked in our driveway for three weeks and we have not been able to drive it because it didn't <laughs> have license plates. So it has temporary license plates which means uh, we've been uh, starting to measure up for shelving. I've been uh, working out what shelving we're going to fit it out with. Um, we need to get the back door fixed so it opens smoothly and then we can get that shelving in and fitted which we're pretty excited about to actually see it kind of move forward a little bit more. Yep, that will probably be the first week. The holidays throw things throw things off in terms of our ability to get out and do things as a whole. All the places to buy shelves will be closed. <laughs> uh, so it will probably be the first week. Oh, darn, we'll have to year. take a vacation <laughs> for like three days. <laughs> um, so working on that, uh, working on finding more places uh, for us to park um, and a bunch of fiber festivals and craft festivals to go to. Uh, so we need to get um, all of that rolling in the next couple of weeks and get ourselves set up to do that. 
um, in the dye studio that's coming together. The electrician will be starting tomorrow to run additional outlets into the space because it turns out if you want to run five microwaves at the same time, uh, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's going ahead. Um, and good news as of today, day of recording, we have not only funded our Kickstarter, um, but we have reached our first stretch goal. So Woo-hoo! we will have the money uh, in January when that goes through to pay for the equipment when we need it by the time this space is fitting out how we want it. So got to do a bit more tidying up down there. Um, in the meantime, I'm going to be dying Erica a couple of test games to be working with our next um yarn that's coming up the first one that will come out of the studio and this first yarn is not part of the kickstarter kits this is kind of our first testing of a large scale batch of yarn um the first kickstarter yarn we will be dying in early march yeah um basically we'll have the full studio set up and we'll still be waiting for our yarn to come through and be wound and all that kind of stuff so i'm squeezing in uh, just a small batch of 200 skeins in the meantime um <laughs> which will be coming out uh, early next year. Um, so I'm going to be dyeing Erica a couple of skeins of that. I'm going to be talking more about that in my segment this week. Yep. Um, and then in the studio, I have very nearly finished the uh, Song of Ice and Fire um, painting that I've been doing. Um, so I've just got about three models to finish and then some bases to do. I picked up some new uh, grass tufts, which... It's it totally geeking out that I, I'm excited about grass tufts, but I've had They're itty bitty <laughs> tiny little things. They're like yeah, the tiny, tiny, tiny on a pencil eraser. Tufts of grass um, that you put on like bases and deer armors. But I found a company um, that does like eight different shades of grass, um, as well as like snow covered grass um, for winter scenes and even like flowers and heather. So I'm excited to be able to add some more kind of realism to, to bases with more natural looking vegetation. So that's exciting, I'm gonna use that on this uh, commission. I'm hoping to get a couple of days over the holidays to be working on my own stuff for Adepticon. So um, I've just got some um, filigree to to do. So I'm taking the original uh, models um, and I wanted them to look a little bit fancier. So I uh, got some brass cogs that you normally use for like steampunk um, cosplay and stuff like that. And I've been cutting those up um, and bending them to fit onto the armor plates of my giant robots so they'll have kind of cog filigree on them. So I've got to finish that off. That's my job for the holidays. I start working on the bases. I've got a um, a roller um, that will imprint some putty um, with like Greek mosaic designs. So they're going to be really fancy looking. I'm going for, I'm going, I'm aiming for a painting prize this year, <laughs> as always. So I'm doing some crazy things. Um, at home in the kitchen, uh, I've been doing some fun cooking. I made uh, an eggplant um, lasagna with uh, the rest of Erica's pasta that she made, uh, with the kale pasta. Yep, we talked about last time, I made two batches of pasta, a kale one so that it was green, and then a chipotle pepper one so that it was red. Um, we made that up as fettuccine last week, and then the rest of the pasta dough was just in the fridge. I rolled that out into lasagna sheets. Um, for this week. So super simple with this. I took, um, we got two eggplants in our uh, veg box somewhere there in season. Um, so I sliced those up into kind of thin um, medallions, then salted those so they were um, 
just to remove some of the moisture so that the sand didn't end up super wet. I then um, took some of our um, the onions from the box, added in some spicy sausage, uh, fried that up, added in um, just a little bit of like. It was really good. We had it tonight. Two meals now. <laughs> yep, we had leftovers tonight so that we had more time to go out and look at Christmas lights with the kiddos. We got enough for about three more meals, I think. Yeah, <laughs> it, was a, it was a really good lasagna. <laughs> Um, and then we baked uh, sugar cookies um, with the kids. And Poppy helped me decorate some today once they'd cooled. Um, so we used Alton Brown's uh, recipe from Food Network. Um, and they're really good cookies. They are. Many of them didn't get to the decorating stage. They were even good with no icing. Normally sugar cookies with no icing are kind of not worth eating. That was not true for these. They're almost shortbread-esque to me. Yeah, they've got, they're really short. <clears throat> Um, and we also took a trip this week um, after the Children's Museum with the kids um, to the International Grocery Store. So we picked up some goodies from there, um, which is always Horchata exciting. mix. Horchata mix, which I've since looked up how to make. And we kind we of didn't, turned it into the mix, but we have the mix now. I am um, a new convert to horchata. Um, it's a Mexican beverage. It's... Sort of tastes like melted cinnamon ice cream. I don't know. It's sort of like the spices from a snickerdoodle cookie in milk. It's it's rice-based. Um, if you've not had it before, I, I didn't know until I looked up how to make it. Um, you basically soak uncooked rice, um, and then you kind of blend that up with some spices and strain it and add milk and water. Um, and it gives you this really kind of creamy, yeah, almost melted ice cream flavor um, I had drink. no idea that there was rice involved until this second. <laughs> it sounds slightly less appetizing now. Don't worry, it tastes good it's enough delicious. that I will still drink it. Um, so we picked that up and another few uh, treats for our holidays, some really nice um, uh, melting chocolate for hot chocolates and some other spices for holiday fare. So yeah, it's been a busy week. So Erica, what have you been generally crafty about this week? This week, I wanted to talk just for a few minutes about wrapping your handmade gifts, if you are gifting any handmade things this year. Um, well, I know with a lot of handmade gifts, there there's a lot of effort and time that goes into it for, on the part of the person making it, um, but it can be hard to convey to the person that you are gifting it to, even necessarily that it's handmade, let alone that it's sort of a special thing uh, because you made it. Uh, so I think the uh, the presentation really does matter when you're doing a handmade thing. And even if it's a small handmade thing that wasn't, I mean, if you're, if you're knitting someone a whole sweater um, or crocheting someone a whole afghan uh, as a holiday gift, hopefully they, they can tell and understand the amount of time and energy that went into that. But when it's something really small... I think it can still be nice to sort of make the presentation um, a little extra something uh, so that they just know that this is a special thing. Uh, so I just wanted to, to quickly talk through the sort of Secret Santa really small gift uh, that I took to the gift exchange that I do with a group of mom friends um, and sort of how I how I go about doing that. So I sewed the pair of slippers. This, this gift exchange uh, is, it's always a sock exchange and you kind of stuff as many fun little small things into the socks as will fit into a sock. Um, and that's uh, that's what we exchange. Uh, so often there's little candies or soaps or special face masks or nail polish or things like that are kind of the style of things that go into that. 
Um, but what I did is I made the slippers, um, and it wasn't, it was all scrap fabric uh, that I, I didn't go out and buy anything special for it. Um, and theoretically, if I had been better at life, it would have only taken me about an hour to do. So these were a fun project that I just wanted to do for me. Um, but then I packaged them up you with... You didn't describe the slippers. You didn't, you're not selling how cute these slippers they are. They were really cute with the with robots. Um, I was torn about if grown-ups like robots, and then I decided <laughs> I'm a grown-up and I like robots, so it must be fine. It was it was a cute robot print with a bright orange fleece lining. Um, and they, they were really stinking cute. No, I'm glad you thought so. If they came in boy sizes, I would make you a pair too. I always have I've, hot feet. I've never <laughs> seen you wear slippers in my life. Um, but I, um, I had made the red and green marshmallows a, a week before. And so I, in a small glass mason jar, I put the red and green marshmallows. Um, and then I have little tags for canned goods, uh, that you can, they're slightly fancier looking tags and they dissolve in water so that they're, you're not stuck with a can with a label on it for the rest of time. Um, so I just labeled homemade vanilla marshmallows, um, on there and then it looks cute. Um, the little mason jar uh, with the tag on there and the red and green was all festive um, so that fit perfectly in the toe of the slipper and then <clears throat> I included a bar of soap from a local maker um, as well that um, is is another local business is a it's a neat sort of extra special thing it's not uh, just something that you can pick up quickly um, on, on every corner. So it's just a, a little bit extra thing. And then I put the second slipper behind the first one. So the, this one slipper is totally stuffed full. Um, and I just took some, I have some sort of off-white, I, I would call it drawstring material. I have a huge roll of it that my mom, my mom finds lots of interesting things at consignment sales and Goodwill and um, garage sales and things, but I use it for you, a lot of things. You bought that to make the bunting for our wedding. No, it's a different one. Oh, it's a different, it's a different thing. It's a different giant, it's a different giant roll of white <laughs> sort of drawstring type material. Um, but it's, uh, I think it is, it's, cute and it looks rustic it sort of fit with the rest of the theme and so I didn't wrap them with wrapping paper um you could still see all of the slipper and all of the stuff inside it I just went around it with this as a sort of ribbon um and tied it and I have we have little hanging tags that my mom also got from who knows <laughs> where um and I when I do a handmade gift I like to write on the tag um like made for you and then the care instructions so how to wash it um that's kind of a way to let people know that this was handmade because i think unless they know you very well and know that you do make things all the time most people's first thought is not i bet the person made this most people who are getting a pair of socks or slippers or sweater or coat or any sort of thing there, the first assumption is going to be that you purchased it. So I think putting somewhere on a tag something that this was handmade, um, I think is just going to let them know that this is a special thing um, and that you did put some extra time and thought into it for them. Um, so I, I make some more of those buttons. When we first got our button maker, I made a bunch of uh, buttons that we sold in the store. So this took a long time to, long time to knit. You better like it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and there are a lot of sort of cards and hang tags and printables out there that that say the essential, essentially the same thing in lots of cutesy different ways. So I think letting people know that um, that it was something that that you'd spent the time on doing is good. And washing instructions can be very important, especially if it is not a thing that you can just throw in the washing machine in the dryer. Uh, that is what the vast majority of at least Americans are going to do with the thing that you give them. So if they cannot do that, tell them on a tag in big letters somewhere. Um, but I think uh, you can make even fairly small handmade things. Um, you don't have to spend 500 hours on every gift that you do. Um, you can still do handmade stuff and make it feel special, even just with the packaging. Um, it is so tempting. I know I'm always finishing things 10 minutes before it's time to run out the door, and I'm tempted to just sort of cram it in a gift bag and, and leave. Um, but I really do think that presentation can turn it from something that looks very thrown together, even though you spent a lot of time on it, uh, to something that looks really polished and, and like an extra special thing. So if you, if you really want to emphasize it as well, if you end up with some scrap yarn at the end when you finish making your piece, use that to tie up the package. Um, that can be a really cute way of kind of giving a subtle hint that it's, it's handmade because you have some of the yarn left over. That is very cute. Um, I do also, when I'm knitting or crocheting things to gift, I will, on the same hanging tag that I put the washing instructions, actually cut little notches and wrap some of the yarn around the tag. That way they have it for mending purposes um, later if they if they need it or want it or want to bring it back to me for me to do it. <laughs> so that is the general craftiness this week. And which person is going to be sponsoring us? Our sponsored pattern this week is our brand new pattern. This is the Crescent Steps Shawl pattern. Um, it is a short row lace insert um, crescent shaped shawl. It uses two skeins of a sport weight um, yarn and it's big. Um, it's, is it big? It, it covers the whole entire dining room table when I blocked it today. Um, and uh, it is a slightly different construction. You start at one of the narrow ends, um, you increase as you go, and then you you do short row segments to create little godets, little sort of triangles with a lace panel in them. Um, and you do that kind of to the center when you run out of your first skein of yarn you know you have to be more than halfway at that point um, and then you do the exact same thing in reverse and decrease back down um, to the to the very end um, it was a fun one to do it's predominantly knit a whole row purl a whole row um, the blocking does make a big difference on the shawl so it was really fun to block that today um, and see it sort of bloom um, I did do a slightly interesting thing, um, which I will tell you podcast listeners about, but I may not admit to the wider audience. Um, when you have a lot going on in your life, it's, in, it's easy to make very interesting choices and do weird things that you probably would not normally do. And this was a case of that. Um, I made this shawl I started it in November. I taught the class on it in November. Um, and then I put it away for a couple of weeks as we had a different pattern that was released and I knew that this one didn't need to be completed right away. When I went to work on it again and finish the second half of it, I picked up another skein of what I believed was the yarn that I was making it with. I used Stargazer. It is a 
Juniper Moon Farm Llama Silk Blend Sport Weight Yarn. Sport, it's, yeah, Sport to DK. Yep, it's, it's a it's a thick Sport to DK weight. Yeah, um, I've been recommending it at a worst of gauge because it looks really good, but it's it's pretty thin. Yeah, um, and it's a beautiful yarn that I loved working with. That's what I used for this project. When I picked up the second skein, I lost my mind, and I picked up a skein of Moonshine which is another yarn by uh, Juniper Moon Farm. It is a silk blend with so, silk, merino silk and, and merino alpaca. wool and alpaca. It is a worsted weight yarn, and it is a single, so it is not a plied yarn. And somehow I knit the entire second half of the shawl and bound off and have been showing people the finished shawl for a month and I did not realize until I blocked it today that I had used two completely different yarns on this shawl. So that is not my recommendation for the project. My recommendation is you use two skeins of the same yarn um, in the same color. Maybe each half of the shawl looks beautiful. Each half of the shawl looks beautiful. This shawl would work beautifully in either of those two yarns. <laughs> Choose one and, and do the whole piece that way. So we are going to be doing some creative photography um, because the pattern will go out the same day that this podcast does. And I do not have time to knit the other half of that shawl again. Um, I will claim till my dying day that I chose to do it on purpose to show off both yarns and how nicely they both drape in the shawl. The actual truth is I lost my mind. So shh, don't tell. <laughs> um, but you can get your free copy of this pattern the free three for three days only today saturday december 22nd tomorrow sunday and monday if you go to ravelry this will be the crescent steps shawl by me erica kim Bratton, in our nomad original patterns we are now up to i think 112 patterns on there so we have a lot of other patterns if this exact one isn't floating your boat um, but you can get your free copy for three days only with the coupon code design feature. The coupon code design feature. Um, so check that out today. And moving on, Dave. <laughs> Good, give me a sec. I'm still cracking up my coupon code. <laughs> moving on, Dave. What have you been doing with colorful puddles this week? I've been doing some paper craft. Um, I haven't lost my mind. Um, that was just me. <laughs> that was just Erica. Although it might look like it. Um, so my uh, my favourite way of um, developing colourways is always to start from the colour cards. Start with like, looking at the display. Start by seeing what inspires me. So for doing these larger batches and designing a bunch of new colourways for our new yarns, I've started to find that I really want a, a better record um, that's visual of a way of actually kind of seeing those colorways out in front of me and being able to pick between them um, for my uh, for my dye process. So I do keep a notebook um, with all the information there, uh, with the color names, um, all the proportions and, and method. Um, but for this, for designing new stuff, I wanted a new way of doing it. So I went over to my display of acid dyes I grabbed a bunch of the color cards, I grabbed my scissors, my tape, and a bunch of the little index cards that we use to make our, our pricing signs in the store, and I set to work. Um, so what I'm doing here is basically cutting out 
the colors with the color number and name into tiny little tags. And then going through and just um, pairing up, or in this case, uh, for the kettle dyes, I like to use a minimum of three colors to really get a depth of tone, uh, creating my, um, my color range. So the color range I've been designing this week was for our new uh, silk, merino, and sea cell blend that I'm going to be uh, dyeing Erica's test skeins of. And I want to do 10 colors total. I'll do 20 skeins each of the 10 colors um, for the roughly 200 skeins that we have. Um, and I really wanted to have a, a good range to pick from. So I started by making 20 unique colors. While I'm doing this, I want to make sure that I'm going all over the, the color wheel. So I really want to have a range of everything, uh, greens through to blues, purples, pinks, reds, oranges, yellows, um, greens, all the way back uh, around, and also include some neutrals as well, um, just to give us a real kind of depth and difference. So we have something for everybody's taste in that particular color range. You'll see this uh, when you see small ranges of hand dyes or small commercial yarn ranges, that there will generally be something that kind of hits everywhere on the color wheel, um, just to make sure you kind of cover all your bases and, and make sure that you have variation. Especially if, if people do decide, for example, to use your yarn for, uh, for color work or if they want to do color blocking with it, they'll want the option of being able to use kind of different colors next to each other. Or even stripes and fair isle. You need some really strong uh, contrasts. Yeah. Um, so I started by just blocking in some fairly safe colors. So safe colors are going to be those analogous colors. Those are colors that are about kind of a third of the way around the color wheel, that when you mix them are not going to produce anything muddy. So if you think of um, a secondary color, is a good place to start. So green, orange, or purple. And then the two primary colors either side of it. Um, so for the purple, that would be blue and, and red stroke kind of pink colors. Um, all of those three are going to blend together to make um, nice non-muddy Pretty tones. colors, not pretty browns. Colors. Yeah, they'll, they'll retain... Not that there can't be pretty browns. Exactly, but, but I, I, always say, I always say in all of my classes, I have two small children, and uncontrolled brown is never a good idea. <laughs> um, I think I'm not going to think too hard about that. <laughs> um... So that's going to give you a range of colors that are going to kind of retain saturation and clarity. They're not going to look muddy um, at that point. They're not going to look brown at all. Stay nice and bright. So the first thing I did was go through and just basically create a bunch of uh, kind of color triads, three colors that will go well together at any point where they're mixed and not going to produce anything muddy. And that produced kind of the main range. So for there, I went all the way around the color wheel. I picked my neutral of uh, three tones of gray. Looks very safe, pretty, but kind of boring. Everybody does that. So then I went through and kind of let my imagination run wild. So I've used these dyes for several years now. I'm very familiar with this particular color range. And I've used a few other dyes from other companies as well. So I'm, I'm pretty familiar with how the acid dyes kind of work with each other. Um, you can also look for inspiration for, for other hand dye companies. Um, we do stock several in the store. I'm familiar with going around to all kinds of different places, um, seeing what other people are doing and seeing what other people are not doing. 
Um, and also kind of looking at my experimentation. So one of my favorite colors from Malabrigo, for example, um, is uh, Archangel, which is a beautiful purples with yellows um, and oranges um, and kind of pinks in there. It's really bright um, in places, but it, it does kind of tend towards the uh, kind of desaturated and, and browns in, in spots as well. Um, simply because of those colors that they choose to blend together have, um, they're all the way around the color wheel, so they, they do kind of produce some brown tones. But they, they're not really rich, kind of deep browns. This is also a color set that I've used before um, in producing some speckles. Um, one of my uh, recent speckle colors used a very similar color range. So I start uh, going through those and, and picking out those colors. So for this particular um, card, I've then gone with a, a pumpkin orange, which is slightly kind of desaturated, a little bit more yellowy. A lilac, um, which is a, again, a slightly kind of desaturated purple. Um, and then I added in the hot is fuchsia. Is desaturated the same as pastel? Is that what you mean? Yes and Kind no. of? Okay. Um, so that's just uh, not a word I feel like is super commonly used. So the saturated color is the bright, pure hue. It's the brightest color that you can get from that particular hue. What you can do is desaturate that color by adding in black or adding in white. Um, so by adding a black, you get a shaded tone. By adding a white, you get a highlighted or tinted tone. They're all the same hue but they have a different value um how do you get pastel so pastel are those desaturated ones with lots of white okay with but lots of white so the desaturated could be with could black. be with lots of black okay um but yeah the, these are on the lighter side so you're right they're more they're more pastel but not quite there they've just got they've got that white in to just kind of knock the brightness down a little bit okay um and then my final color in there is actually a really saturated pink the hot fuchsia um, so when those go together, um, the fuchsia will really stand out. We're better at seeing those really saturated colors. The others will, will kind of fade into the background. So once I've picked out my kind of color triads, got them stuck on my cards, um, what I'll do before I actually stick them down is think about what I want the dominant color to be in this um, particular uh, mix. Um, so often that will be, um, if I'm using say two primaries and a secondary color, the secondary color is often the one that I will want to be the most dominant, and then the others um, allow them to kind of blend into that. I will be doing a kettle dye technique with this, which does change kind of what colors I can pick, because um, they, they're going to blend into each other a little bit. Um, but with this, I'll normally pick the secondary color as the, the main color. Um, when I have three colors that don't really go together and are, and are not analogous, um, often the color I will pick there um, will be it will be the one that I want to be most prominent but it may often be the one that's got the kind of the least saturation to it um, because that's going to be the color that's going to go over most of this game so when you add in your um, additional colors and they start to blend into the background they don't kind of overtake it too much um, if you go the other way around and use the most saturated color as your main color um, what you can find is when you add your kind of secondary colors in, they disappear. They don't, you don't show up. You don't yeah. see them. Um, 
So when I'm working that out, I will, I will order the colors on my card um, with the most predominant color at the top and then the secondary colors underneath. And then I'll really think about... <laughs> You're using the word secondary to mean two different things. Yeah, okay, the, the, <laughs> the accent colors. There you go. Um, uh, so the most predominant color at the top, the accent colors underneath. And then once I've done that, I'll really think about kind of what percentages I, I want to use these for. Um, so if I really want a, a fairly kind of balanced looking skein, um, I will generally, and this is, this is a formula I, I tend to use a lot when I'm, um, when I'm doing kettle dyes. I just think it really works really well for the style that I want to get. Is my main color. I will start with using 50% uh, of the dye is going to be that main color. 30% my first accent, and then 20% my second accent. That's up to 100. Um, obviously, um, if I if I want to push it so I have a little bit more of my main color, I might go to 60 or 70%, and nudge the others down by that proportion. If I really have a um, a colorway where I know one of the colors from experience, just tends to be like crazy bright, um, like almost really concentrated the dye itself, I will drop that really low down. So for example, the hot fuchsia, the turquoise, the Kelly green um, from the Jacquard range, which is mainly what I use, um, I will tend to kind of adjust my percentages for that when I'm, when I'm kind of putting these cards together. So yeah, that, that kind of gives you a, a rough idea of, of these. And we've got some, um, some pictures of the cards that I took to show to Erica. Um, yep. that we'll post up on our show notes so you can see what my card race looks like. And if you like us on Instagram, you've already seen them. Um, and if you follow our Kickstarter, I've published um, an update today that has one of the cards um, that will be in this range. It's a really interesting um, and you pinks can, and blues and lilac colorway. You can find more about our Kickstarter because you have until January 8th to get in on that uh, to get one of our new kits pre-ordered. Um, at a discount, and that's bit.ly slash nomadkick. And as we pass our first stretch goal today, um, the higher pledge levels uh, will automatically get a new custom Nomad Nick gauge. Uh, we're getting these laser cut out of some um, MDF. So there'll be a wood a wood look. Um, yeah, a wood, a wood board. Um, the advantage of the MDF over um, apply is that it's it's super smooth. You won't ever have any issues with grain or it catching on anything. It's a really um, smooth material. And we've had needle gauges made with this before, and we've been very happy with the product. And this is going to be done locally um, here, and we've been talking to the guy who's going to do it, um, and we are on the bench for early January. Yeah, he's, we just need to put the order in. Now we've got that, that stretch goal filled. Um, so yeah, help us uh, help us reach our next stretch goal. Um, if we get there, we'll be producing a learn to crochet kit too. All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks okay, for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, everyone. Find us on Facebook on our group Nomad Jana's Podcast, on Instagram as Nomad Jana's, or on Ravelry in our group Nomad Jana's. Find show notes with links to things we talked about on today's show on our website nomadjarnshop.com slash podcast. And as I tell all my classes, in crafting, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. <laughs>